you go to your typical university and uh, I'm just on fire for this because you, you go to your typical university and you take all these anatomy and physiology classes or you name the course and how often do you hear about God? serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and money it's matthew 6 24 thank you for joining discipleship condition really excited to be with you today to spread god's word and to continue working our way through the book of matthew the first book in the new testament and the first of the gospels um, really just motivated on what we have going on through our business. Uh, yesterday I started um, publishing uh, a new course, a biblical anatomy course at the basic level and really excited to offer that to those that are needing to hear it. It's written at a college freshman level but truly, I believe in my heart, my wholeheartedness, that this class has never been taught before. In the history of man, I don't think this course has ever been taught before because you go to your typical university and uh, I'm just on fire for this because you, you go to your typical university and you take all these anatomy and physiology classes or you name the course and how often do you hear about God? just doesn't happen at most universities. I've taken roughly 30 anatomy and physiology courses and I never heard God's name once, never represented. The creator of all things, the creator of us were made in his image as Genesis tells us and he's not even mentioned in the story. It's absolute ridiculousness. And so I'm so thankful that God has blessed me with the anatomical knowledge that I have, but also the biblical knowledge and the growing knowledge in both of those areas to be able to present a unique topic like biblical anatomy that should not be unique. This should be a class that's taught everywhere. This niche should not be available to me. Um, I, I'm thankful that it is, but at the same time, I'm depressed that... Um, that this niche exists. So, you know, I'll, I want to say that because I'm on fire for it and I'm excited for it. Um, that better ties in with our other podcast, Biblical Anatomy, released on Mondays. Uh, so I'll save the rest of it for that time. But if you're interested in taking a peek at that course, it's available through our website. There are two ways you can get to our website. We have a couple different domains, erratphysiology.com. And as I've mentioned before, I recognize... As cool as I think that name is, most people don't know how to spell Ararat or physiology. And so it's not leading to a whole lot of people actually seeing our message. So we've also purchased the domain, which I think is a better domain overall for the business, and that is biblicalanatomy.com. Um, I think that's going to direct a lot more people to the message that we have. So type in either website. It'll take you to the same place and take a peek if you have interest in that on what we have. And from there, you can see both of the podcasts that we have to check them both out. 
But you're here for discipleship conditioning, and I appreciate that you're here. appreciate that you're willing to do a little Bible study with us and look at Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew 6 is the second chapter in Matthew uh, in relation to the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which, full disclosure, I did not realize. I've always associated the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, but it's actually three full chapters long is the Sermon on the Mount. So we're right in the thick of it. We're right in the middle. Um, Just like Matthew 5, it's going to be really difficult to encapsulate all of this within one podcast, but I will do my best and share my perspective. So that's our benefit today, a deep dive into Matthew chapter 6. And we bring together Christians who strive to follow the light of God over the darkness of this world to renew our mindsets through shared experience and discipleship so we can better love the Lord our God following his commandments. Let's jump right into it with Matthew 6, 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. That's Matthew 6, 2. The last part, truly I say to you, they have received their reward, is a theme. It's going to pop up at least three times in the coming verses. And so I'll mention it here once, but it it obviously appears again and again. And I'm thankful that it appears in repetition because it really sinks home for me. And I'll apply some comedy to the situation, although probably not appropriate. If you're my age or around my age, you remember Saturday Night Live. Well, a lot of age groups remember Saturday Night Live. But if you're around my age group, you remember their competitor in the 90s, and that was Mad TV. There was also In Living Color, but for the story, I'll focus on Mad TV. And uh, I'm not sure whatever happened to it, but it was around when I was a kid, and definitely something I shouldn't have been watching, but uh, history is done, and I did. And there was this character named Stuart. And he would say, look what I can do. And he would like jump around and do these weird things. And, you know, to the four of you that giggled just then, you remember this experience as I'm referring to. And that's some comedy to the situation. But as it pertains to sound no trumpet before you, that's kind of what I think of when I read this is the people that are like, hey, 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 I'm I'm about to do something really cool. Look at me. And that's such a childish thing, right? Kids do that all the time, but they do it because they're kids. We as adults shouldn't do that, but we a lot of us still do because we're craving attention and we are seeking to fulfill that in the wrong way. I mean, we're literally acting like stewards, and I say we because I've done it and do it a lot of times myself, but it's an area for improvement nonetheless. Uh, that they may be praised by others. This one kind of strikes a different note for me, one less of comedy and one more personal Uh, Many of you, my age again, know about the book, The Five Love Languages. In fact, many different people know that book. It's a best-selling book, very, very popular. And it speaks of different love languages, as the author would point out. Um, And for me, words of affirmation is one of them. And I've always felt shameful about words of affirmation, that my happiness is reliant on other people saying a good job. Now, connecting that, that's a definition that I applied before baptism and before being born again. I now realize that that's ridiculousness. Uh, My happiness is based in my relationship with God, my relationship in His Son, Jesus Christ, my connection with the Holy Spirit within me. 
not based on what other people say. Now, is it still nice based on the way that I'm wired for somebody to say good job? Yeah, it is. But I'm thankful that my life has played out the way that it has and God has shown me such grace because words of affirmation matters less to me. But if we're stuck in that rut or we're in a period of trials and we're down and we're believing the lies, that can rear its ugly head for me. And I have to I have to be cognizant of that. So if you struggle with words of affirmation as well, you may be able to relate to that, that you may just be seeking the praise of others, but not realizing the gravity of the situation when you do. And then they have received their reward. Again, this is going to be stated over and over again here, although I'm going to point it out just the once. Um, and it, it, and it, it makes me think of God's free will that he provides us. He gives us a choice to accept him or reject him. I've mentioned the quote by Dan Ellinger quite a few times, without the ability to say no, yes has no meaning. It's a wonderful quote. And so, you know, if we want praise from other people, if we want praise right here, right now, you can get it. You can get it. Do your little dance in the street and have people clap for you. But if you want your praise from God, you can also get that. There's just different instructions to do that. And as a lot of things in the Bible point to, it refers to delayed gratification. We have to be selfless and not so focused on ourselves. And being willing to get that reward later. Part of transitioning from a child to an adult is that transition of delayed gratification. Uh, and a lot of us haven't learned that. If you look at some of the automobiles that are out there, I'm a truck guy myself, and what's a brand new truck cost? Especially like a one-ton truck, what does that cost? $80,000 these days? And so if I still have childlike behaviors, I go ahead and hop out there and get me a $1,500 car payment at the blink of an eye because I'll get approved for it, and they're all too happy to sign me up for that sort of payment. And what am I left with because of my impulsive nature? If I accept delayed gratification, an example in terms of a truck payment, I think of an old coworker I used to work with that at one point said he never has a truck payment because he's always putting aside $500 in the bank for that next truck that he'll get in three years. And so he, he sort of has a truck payment, but it's in advance for a newer model that's coming out. If he's still getting new trucks, I wonder what he's putting in the bank on a monthly basis now because uh, trucks aren't $500 payments anymore. They're $1,500 payments. Nevertheless, I'm getting off topic, but the point here with they have received their reward, at least as I see it, is you have a choice. Do you want your reward now or do you want it later? You can get either one. One's clearly the right decision and one's clearly the wrong decision, but you have the free will to make that decision and avoid selfish impulsiveness. Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is who sees in secret will reward you. Well, that seeing in secret ties in with God's omnipresence. You can't hide from God. Even though the devil tells you lies and he wants to keep you in secret away from your wife or your husband or your loved ones, can't keep you away from God, even though he wants you to feel that you can. Uh, God is omnipresent. But what matters more here is our heart that we're showing to God. Shut the door and pray to your father. 
Are we seeking his approval and his approval only? Or are we seeking others' approval? Are we being as the hypocrites are and even going into our rooms and shutting the door and praying, but then immediately opening the door and running down the streets and saying, hey, guess what I just did? Guess what I just did? I think about gossip when I think about that. The impulsive nature to gossip about someone. Is it easier to be quiet and not say anything? No, it's not easier, but it's the right thing to do. Matthew six fourteen through 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So for me, this is probably the most provoking in my seat, understanding my immense guilt here. Um, I am terrible at judging people. I could... I could blame it on circumstances, but I need to take full responsibility for it. And I need to break down my foundation of what I thought was truth through my life and replace it with actual truth with God's word. I'm a sinful, sinful person who judges people far too frequently. And I've become so proficient at it in my 40 years on this earth that I do it within seconds. And that's certainly not an excuse to continue doing it. It's a uh, sobering fact that I've got a real problem here. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can't. But who do I think I am? Like, how am I going to expect to arrive before God, not having forgiven anybody and having judged my more than fair share, but then expect something completely different from God? expect his grace and expect his forgiveness when I made little to no effort to actually apply those principles in my life and do them for others. So if there's anything from Matthew 6 that I've got years worth of work to do, and not because it's not something I can understand, it's a trivial message, but because I have to break down a 40-year-old foundation and begin replacing a new, something that I'm going to work on for years and the rest of my life Um, no doubt. So, you know, take one on the chin there. Uh, I am not a role model in that. I am what not to do currently and in my past. I need some serious grace, some serious forgiveness, some serious repentance, and some serious work towards correcting that. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the key phrase for me is the end of that. There your heart will be also. For whatever reason... God has blessed upon me my understanding of idols. That is a message, a biblical message that has clicked very well for me. I find it very easy to identify idols in my life, for the most part. I'm sure there's idols I have in my life that I don't recognize at this very moment. Uh, And so in a way, I'm being a hypocrite in that regard. But generally, I can identify idols pretty quickly in my life because that concept, that, that teaching lesson makes sense for me instance we'll go back to a truck analogy brand new truck 
and I'm constantly cleaning my truck and I'm wiping it down with wax and nobody can get it in it with their shoes on, all these sorts of things. I'm idolizing that truck. I'm idolizing that truck. And so something that God may place on my heart with that new truck is to sell it. Why? Because I'm putting it ahead of God. I'm treating it as an idol. You can go the other direction, super messy truck, not caring about your possessions. Well, why do you not have the time to clean your truck? Well, because I'm watching 12 hours of Netflix. Well, there, there in fact lies an idol as well. So it's not so much related to cleanliness or messiness, but what are you putting as a time occupier? What are you putting before your relationship with God? That's generally where an idol points out in your life. Well, if there's an idol here on earth, there your heart is also. So this again is something that I'm not a role model for. It's something that I need to work on. I've significantly found money to be an idol in my life. Last year was the first time I ever ever started tithing and my life changed dramatically during that period of time. I was blessed beyond measure in return. In fact, it's so interesting how often when I finally let go of something that I've been idolizing, how oftentimes I get it back in return, but with a new heart. Go back to a truck example. You might go through the process of selling the new truck that you idolize, and five years later, you might find yourself with a new truck again, not because you idolize it, but because your heart's in the right place and God has gifted you uh, that material item back again to help in some avenue of your life. God blesses us in amazing ways, provided that we don't put those materialistic things, those statues, those golden calves, if you will, before him. Nothing should become uh, come before our relationship with God. We should live a life of service, not acquisition. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will itself will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And again, there at the end is the verse that I focus on. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I've got enough problems to focus on today. I've got enough to tackle today. Why am I worried about tomorrow? Am I preaching this because I'm perfect in this regard? No, I'm not. But it is something that I am well on my way to conquering. It's something that I recognize and have recognized for quite a while. Uh, In fact, I learned this from a student. In my role as a teacher, as an educator, I learned this from a student. Little did I know, through her mother, she was quoting the Bible. She uh, came up to me for an assignment and was focusing on a grade and what she needed to do to close this chapter of the class and get done with the assignment. And I asked her how she was feeling about the final. And she essentially said, uh, tomorrow has its own worries. Why worry about them now, today, and this assignment that we're talking about is enough for today. And I was just kind of put back in my seat. And to her credit, she immediately discredited herself and said that that came from her mom. And knowing what I know now, no doubt whether that came directly from the Bible to her mom or that came from another person uh, to her mom, it originates here in the Bible in Matthew 6, 34. And I've been able to apply it probably the last five years of my life uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. You know, when I think of this struggle today versus struggle tomorrow, as I often do, it takes me down an anatomy and physiology rabbit hole. And I think about the stress 
the cortisol that is secreted from our adrenal glands, specifically our adrenal cortex. And I understand the physiological effects there. And that's kind of a scare tactic for me. Knowing what I know and the degradation of our bodies associated with the stress chemicals, why on earth would I stress about anything more than just what's present today? Understanding that God created us in his image and he gave us a stress system, a fight or flight system to prepare us for life and get us out of situations that are make or break life or death scenario and recognizing that in this day and age, in my location on this earth, those life or death scenarios very rarely happen. So why am I still overusing the stress response knowing what overuse of it can cause from a degradation standpoint and a health standpoint? Exercise physiologists and physiologists in general will basically say, uh, we don't know how stress will kill you, but it will kill you. We don't know how it will manifest in terms of what cancer or disease, but we do know that it'll manifest at some point in time, if not used correctly. So save your stresses for today and save your stresses for legitimate stresses uh, as much as you can for life and death scenarios and not just, I woke up late, I'm stuck in traffic, whatever the case may be, whatever the case may be. A good quote to include on this that I've mentioned before is from Seneca. In my research, I've nailed down the quote to letter 13 of his in a time range of 63 AD to 65 AD, so about 30 years after Jesus' death in the period of Paul's death and, and when many of these books of the Bible were being put together, these gospel books and the ones there to follow. And the quote from Seneca is, we suffer more in imagination than in reality. So when I'm thinking about tomorrow and I'm thinking about those stresses, how often do I postulate something that'll never happen? And I worry about it for days and days and days and then it actually never happens. But my body didn't respond that way. It still secreted cortisol. It still started the stress response over and over and over again. For what? For something that never happened? So if that helps you think of it in that regard, that we suffer more in imagination, the things that we creep up in our head, the lies that we believe, than in reality. How often do you think of something in a catastrophic form that actually takes place? Probably close to never. We are self-sponsored as we always have been and I hope always will be. Uh, our website again is errorphysiology.com, but I recommend going to biblicalanatomy.com because it's easier to remember and it takes you to the same place. If you want to reach out and email, we'd love to talk to you. Hello at erratphysiology.com is a, a good email just to say hello. And uh, we're always accepting prayer requests. So you can respond to us at prayer at erratphysiology.com. And we would love to read your prayer requests, help you in any way we can. We would love it if you check out our uh, school that we're building through our community and the courses that we have there. That can be found at our website and both podcasts can be found at our website. Tips and referrals are necessary to keep this thing going. And I have uh, included links at the very bottom of the show notes, regardless of what platform you're listening through, that can uh, take you directly to a, a tips page for either Biblical Anatomy, the Monday podcast or Discipleship Conditioning the Wednesday podcast. So what can we take home today? Well, what makes us anxious? What makes us anxious in our lives? And more importantly, is that valid based on what we've talked about today? 
Let's conclude as we always do with the Lord's Prayer, which is also in Matthew 6. This is Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.